Bonjour, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective Podcast, the weekly show where we talk about a comic or graphic novel of our choosing. I am your co-host, Anne. I'm Alexis. Swami, the I'm Dallas. And just like that, we've been banned in at least one country. Um, yeah, so today we are reading Always Never by Jordan Lefebvre. Is it Jordan Lefebvre? Uh, Jordi Lefebvre, Jordi, I think. Jordi Lefebvre. Lefebvre. Okay, none of us speak French. It's going to be fantastic. Very American white. Bread. All very American. Um, but this is a comic that... No matter where you're from, I feel like it's going to speak to you. And I have to go to you guys first. Not just in this comic, <clears throat> but I was thinking about it narratively. What things hit you the most? What what type of stories make you cry? Just going to start super strong. If you had to name like a theme or a plot point or something that just hits you right where you live, what is it? All right. Even before we tell people what the comic is about, what makes me cry? Mm-hmm. Um, love stories make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> they do. No. Like I yeah. think of, I think of the opening of Up. That makes me cry. Always, mm-hmm. never makes me cry. Silver Surfer that we're talking about next week makes me cry. Um, I also think like really genuine demonstrations of kindness. Mm-hmm. If. Like our characters just down on their luck and someone comes along and just like gives them a break or gives them like the end of the pursuit of happiness makes me cry. They're just like seeing that there's goodness in the world in any way makes me cry. Thank you for sharing that. Lexi, how about you? I feel like for me, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, like in the theme of love, um, there's the movie that always makes me emotional every single time I watch it is Crazy Rich Asians at the very, very end where she's mm-hmm. like, you know what? I know that I'm meant to be with him, but because of the way that you, his mother, are, I'm going to give him up so that he doesn't hate you. And I feel like relationships and like love like that where you are so willing to put aside your feelings to be able to protect the person that you love and do what's best for them that you think, I feel like hits me the hardest. And I always feel like like that dramatic scene where he like runs onto the plane and he's like, no, please. And then he proposes to her with his mom's ring. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. I'm just going to scream. The book of that made Addie so grumpy because he doesn't go propose. The end of the book is like <gasps> her being like, I will have to let him go. No. The end. You're kidding me. Dead That's series. some bullshit. I'm Burn so he doesn't, Burn it. she doesn't like the book, but she loves the movie. The movie yeah. is like, I'm not even kidding, like changed my opinion on love as a whole. So sacrifice. It feels like for Lexi a, a strong theme is sacrifice. And for Dallas, it's love. For me, I always get really teary-eyed when I think about nostalgia and the passage of time. Um, anything where it's like showing how far a character's come, the things they've lost, the things they've gained. That always gets me really, really choked up. And that always hits me in the feels. And the reason I wanted to start with this kind of like short group therapy session is because I feel like this comic hits on so much. And actually all three of those themes put together, sacrifice, love, and time. And for anyone who hasn't read it yet, I highly, highly suggest that you 
stop listening to my stupid voice right now. Go read this book. It'll take you a whopping 30 minutes to get through. And then like maybe 30 minutes to emotionally recover from afterwards. But then in an hour's time, you'll be able to come back to this podcast and actually hear what we're having to say and get as invested in it as we are. This is one of the most beautiful books I've read in my entire life. It's very fitting that we're reading for February. Um, It's in terms of romance, it's a book that does a lot that I don't think we've seen before and a lot that we have seen before, but in different ways. Um, The plot of the book is about these two people. um, Sorry, I have to pull up their names. Zeno Zeno and and Anna. Anna. Thank you. Um, Who met when they were very young and have had this relationship with each other their entire lives, but not a relationship in a traditional sense. It's a distant relationship where they are definitely still very connected to each other, but just not physically with each other. Zeno is traveling the world, working on his doctoral thesis, and Anna is busy being the mayor of her little town. And the story... Hmm? It's Venice. It's Venice? Yeah, Venice, Italy. Well, shit. The big town. Um, Great pizza there, by the way. I don't know why that's... Oh, cool. Good to know. I don't know why that's (laughs) surprising. We don't care that you've been there. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. I had a great pumpkin gazpacho in Venice. It was awesome. Venice is a dope city. Yeah, gazpacho. Definitely it's a real thing. It's too bad thing that it's sinking. That I've had. I never see it. I, I saw it before it sunk. <clears throat> Thank you, Dallas. Um, and this is the story about how they revolve around each other in their lives. And about their next real meeting. And it's interesting because this is a story that is told in reverse. This is a story that follows a reverse chronology where the end of the story is what gets introduced to us first and the plot is unraveled to us backwards. And it does so in a way that is nothing short of masterful. And it's it's so interesting the ways it thematically ties into the story and the idea of the things that connect us, the um, things that we share that can reach beyond the, you know, like the limitations of time and space. And I think I've talked about the plot enough that if you haven't read it yet, hopefully you're sold. But if you have read it and you're still listening, I want to go through. Lexi, please tell me, what did you think of Always Never? Was this your first time reading it this week? It was, in fact, my first time reading it this week. I saved it just for this week. And it was so beautiful. Like, I just feel like that. those are my first thoughts that come to mind. I haven't read anything else like this ever, I feel like. And I feel like it just was the perfect ode to love. Like, it is just a pure and simple feeling that these two had for each other. And they just never got their chance until later in life. But they had always had those connecting moments with each other. They were always in each other's lives. They always felt the draw to each other. And I just feel like I feel I feel like some people there's two there's two different types of people in the way of thinking of love. I feel like there are people that believe in soulmates and there are people that don't. And I'm somebody who believes in soulmates. And I feel like this book was the perfect look into that trope. 
of soulmates. Like they met, they had one special moment together when they were very, very young and they never forgot each other and they always stayed in touch. And then they finally made their way back to each other, which is told in reverse. So we see they're reuniting later in their years and then everything that led up to that moment, which was super fun. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, So really, really glad you enjoyed it. Um, Dallas, this is a book that you recommended to me. You definitely recommended to me and to us. I wanted to make sure that I actually clarify that for anyone who was listening last time. This was not a book that I discovered. This was a Dallas Taylor original. He got everyone hooked on it. So I just wanted to make sure that was clarified before he virtually strangles me. So Dallas, how I need to know two things. One, how did you find this comic? Two, what were your thoughts of it the first time you read through? And what are your thoughts on it now? So Always Never is a comic that I discovered in late 2020 when it before it had a physical release. It came onto my radar through the very talented comics critic Ritesh. Um, I can't remember his last name. He has bylines at Comic Book Herald, at Panel X Panel, and he's got a great Twitter feed. He's constantly putting me onto cool comic books. There is some really, really cool comics journalism going on. If you only engage with comics through Twitter, I think it's a really fun space, but I would highly recommend looking specifically at the magazine Panel X Panel. They are incredible. And then the website Comic Book Herald is another great place to go and just learn about what makes comics great. It's a good way to find comics. And that's how I found Always Never was Ritesh talking about how delightful it was. And I saw the cover for it and I immediately knew it was something I needed to put on my radar. So I picked up the digital copy of it and read it I think it took me a while to read it. Like I grabbed it and I was like, oh, I'll read that soon. And then when I finally read it, I immediately started to spread it to everyone I knew. It's like, this is a book that I need everyone I love to read because this, to borrow a turn of phrase from Brad and Lisa Gullickson, this is a heart comic for me. Like this comic lives in one of the little four drawers of my heart and keeps it beating, honestly. I did feel a little bad this week. We had a couple posts about this go a little more viral than I thought they would. And people were talking about how sad they were that they couldn't find anywhere to buy the physical copy of this. So I wanted to shout out Anne and Alexis both sent me a physical copy of this. And you have to tell the story about that because I'm mad. (laughs) I'm still mad. I tweeted. I said, man, I wish someone loved me enough to send me a copy of Always Never. Like a turd, because I knew someone would. If I complained, someone would. And I'm not saying it's a good quality of mine, but I am saying it's a quality I have. Where my love language is gifts. And so people only think to love you that way during holidays. And sometimes you just got to say, like, I want to be loved, by the way. (laughs) Like, it's okay to be like, I need a hug. But, like, I need a present is not the same. (laughs) So (laughs) I said, I need a present. And both of my delightful, lovely, wonderful co-hosts that I love so much saw that, snapped at the opportunity, and sent them my way. 
And he so, prayed on us silly little women. And so and two, of them, showed up, two of them showed up at my house and I went, looks so nice. I got it twice. <laughs> I just got a text from Lexi like an hour after I bought it. And she's like, did you just buy Dallas that book? I don't, I don't know how you knew. I don't I remember. Just knew. I just As soon as I did it and sent yes, I was like, I should have asked Anne. I said, oh, no. no. We both bought it. <laughs> oh, no. I just knew. And um, I tried to cancel it, and um, Amazon's like, you know, I know you placed the hour, the order an hour ago. Um, it's too late. Um, fuck you. The book is sent. Damn, and- Jeff Bezos for being efficient. <laughs> they threw it on Damn the back that. of the pony that moment, and <laughs> it was an Amazon by way. There was an Amazon worker who did not get to go to the bathroom that hour because <laughs> no. I bought that book, and it makes me feel bad. Jeff walked it there himself. <laughs> oh boy, but. So I have a physical copy. This The second one got to go live with my friend Doug from the YouTube channel for every kind of geek because he lives by me. And whenever I have a comic book that I was like, I need someone to have this, it usually ends up in Doug's hand because he is the closest <laughs> one physically to me. I'm like, here you go. Read this. Ta-ta. Doug. And I felt a little bad that a lot of people are like, oh, I can't get this anywhere physically. But this was for English audiences. This was a digital comic first. So... There's no issue going, picking this up off Comixology, giving it a read that way. I just, I think this comic is really special mm-hmm. because it captures so well the feelings of love and the importance of life and going and having your adventure in life. But it's also just really ambitious structurally. I think for something to become a special comic to me, it has to resonate emotionally intellectually and be structurally interesting i've read enough good comics at this point that unless you're doing something special in one of those places you're not going to get to float to the top and because of how this comic is structured how it's presented and how delightful the leads of this book are i think it has floated right to the top of it's definitely in my top 10 favorite comics of all time so if you haven't read this yet, like Anne said, I am sorry you're not going to be able to get a physical copy because apparently I own every physical copy on the planet. But I do think you should go pick up a digital copy and give it a read. I don't think it's going to be an issue to listen to this because at the beginning of the book, they tell you the couple ends up together and then it works backwards. This isn't a book so much that is dependent on not having a twist spoiled. It is very much a come along for the experience with us kind of book. Beautifully, beautifully said. And just off that, talking about how ambitious the structure of this book is, I feel like that's where we have to start first. Um, This is the first book we've read like this. I don't know if there's another comic out there that does this, or at least does this half as successfully. Um, Telling a story in reverse order is very rare. And it's because it takes a special amount of talent and the ability to write really great um, foreshadowing hooks that are actually like past shadowing. Um, It takes a lot of skill because every scene you have has to be a narrative chunk going forward, but it has to have that one hook in it that goes backwards. There has to be an anchor point in every single one of these little, um, I almost want to call them vignettes, just these little peaks in time. There has to be an anchor point that will tell you exactly what the next chapter is going to be about, even though it happens before. It's 
it's interesting the way that has to be set, um, set up. This time through, I looked for a lot of them and I found most of them, but there's still sometimes where I'm like, there's something that ties this chapter to the last one. I can't figure out what it is though. Um, but there's a lot of really cool moments of symmetry in this. And um, like one of the ones I, the obvious one is just the first two panels of this book versus the last two panels of this book. The parallels there, we've shared those all over social media as many times as we can. Those are probably going to be the two most iconic images from this book if you've seen them. <clears throat> but the journey in between has so many moments of wonderful, wonderful foreshadowing, parallelism. I love in the first chapter alone looking at how many places get referenced there that get further explored later in the book. Um, their meanings get expanded upon and built upon. I loved... Um, the fact that they have their kiss at the beginning by the pier where they first met. I love um, the fact that when Anna passes out towards the front of this book, it's in the third issue. And then the third issue to the end is when she passed out the first time after seeing Zeno when he returned. And it's, it's really, sorry, there's just so much that I want to say about the way that this is set up. And if you notice the only part of this book that happens backwards in actual time moving in the opposite direction is the last chapter. And I think that's purely because it's the only one that doesn't have anything next to set up. So it has the freedom to truly reverse time. And at all times ties in so wonderfully to the themes of um, Zeno's dissertation. And I loved how elegantly and perfectly that surmised the concept of the book so early on. And I've been blabbering on and on. I need to hear you guys talk about it for a little bit. Um, Lexi, what did you think about the story being told backwards? Have you ever seen a story told backwards before? No, I haven't read a story that was told backwards before. And I honestly feel like it kind of created this feeling of more interest for me, I guess. Because, I mean, obviously we know, like, it's a love story. They end up together. I mean, that's kind of a given. But I feel like... Um, with putting it backwards, it made it so much more interesting to see how they got there while going through the novel or the comic. Basically feels like a novel. I'm emotionally invested in this, but um, it's, it's it's crazy. I mean, there's so many different parts of just like feeling their affection for each other through small little acts. Like, I mean, we've mentioned a little bit before um, we were on air about how the bridge how, like, we see him explain this bridge to her over the phone. Like, you have this is what you have to do. Like, this is what you have to do so you don't get rid of my bookstore, damn it. And then, like, two, three chapters later, we see him see that bridge in real life. And we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's how he knew to solve that problem later. And it just is so interesting to be like, oh, my gosh, that's the bridge. Like, that's what he thinks through. <laughs> and I just love that so much. It made it so much more fun and entertaining for me throughout. Oh, for sure. Did you still feel like there's a sense of mystery, even though we know where it ends up? I would say so. I feel like it was definitely just really fun all all around. Awesome. Dallas, how about you? Well, I think telling the story in reverse order allows the question to be, why did it take them so long to get here instead of when will they get together? And that being a different question allows this to be a beautiful story about life and two parallel lives i think the most thematically significant portion of this book is the conversation about 
the Earth and the Moon, that they were two stellar objects that were shooting past each other. And then when they passed, they immediately started to orbit each other. And it was probably a good thing that they never collided, but they were always being pulled towards each other and away from each other at the same force. And that's what caused their orbit. And it's very apparent that our two main characters are that way as well. It feels very La La Land in that our lives won't work next to each other, even though we're in love. And so we have to go and pursue our life. But what this comic does that La La Land doesn't, that so many of those kinds of stories don't, is it demonstrates that your life doesn't end at 25. Even if you didn't get together at the end of what should have been your rom-com, you've got a whole life. And then like, you can still fall in love later in life. You can still have such a fulfilling life. I loved that the punchline of this seemed to be like their rom-com is actually beginning at 60. Everything else before this was just the life that led them that way. And I think that that is a really fun and special message because so much of Hollywood and romance stories in general are like, all right, find someone before you're 30 or you're dead. And I like that this was not that. And that they were better people for each other because of the lives that they'd left Mm -hmm. up to that point. I feel like one of the biggest things for me, too, that kept hitting me throughout was actually Anna's husband. Hmm. Because we see him later like, yeah, Giuseppe, I love him. Like she was like, he was fabulous. He was there for me when I needed him. And now we both are to the point where we know. He knows. He's not stupid. Like, and I, I really love the thought of like, there is such thing as like a second chance also. Like, I feel like the, you see these relationships with people like, I mean, I know that's not necessarily like what happened with this specific story, but like, I feel like we see a lot of couples like, oh, our kids are moved out, grown up. Now we are sitting with ourselves and we're like, okay not really the biggest fans of each other and you quote unquote go your separate ways get a divorce later in life and I feel like this is just like a perfect image of like you're never it's never too late to find your person the person that you love the person that's meant for you even if the person before was fabulous like you can still have multiple types of love and I feel like that was something really big for me throughout also because you could tell that she loved him just not the same I think it's it's one of those talking about different types of love it's really really interesting that throughout the story Giuseppe is always seen as such a caring and loving person and the the relations that he has with Anna and their daughter are always positive it's a from everything it's a healthy a positive relationship and it's an interesting place where it's like, this is the, she's in this relationship and she, she still goes to be with Zeno afterwards anyway. And it's, I don't think it's because she loves Giuseppe any less. I just think that there's that unresolved part with Zeno that she still has to resolve and they've lived a full life together. And Giuseppe seems to like have that moment where he's like, I understand who you are, who you need to be, what you need to do now. And if she stays with Zeno always after that kiss, or if she goes back to Giuseppe, I think the point of the book is that the love for either one of them isn't lessened by the fact that it's a love that she shares for these two people. It's just a different type of love. 
but I'm not sure if I have the words to perfectly quantify exactly what that difference is. Well, I think that's just the thing with love, right? Mm -hmm. How many, how much literature, how many words have been spent trying to get them just right to talk about a feeling that is somehow universal and wholly unique. No Mm -hmm. two people love and are loved in the exact same way as any other two people. And yet we're all dancing around the same feeling. And I think that this is a specific story about a woman and how she loved a certain man. And that, that didn't, just like you said, that didn't diminish the love she had for Giuseppe. And there's a question about this later from a listener. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean that she didn't love her life as it was. She just had a specific love and a flame for this man, Zeno. And I think one of the realest moments in this whole book for me is when she sits down with Giuseppe and Mm -hmm. Giuseppe's like, I know. And she just says, there were so many things that I wished I could tell you. And that hit me so hard as someone that like, I'm very happy with my wife. I, I'm pretty sure my wife is very happy with me, but like, if there was something like a Zeno going in my life, there is this crazy juxtaposition where the only person I would want to tell about it is Addison. Like, I was like, you're just, you are the person I share my exciting things with. You are the person, like, you are my home, you are my everything. And so, like, I felt that from Anna, where it's like, no matter the the very best days she had talking with Zeno, strangely enough, she would want to go home and tell Giuseppe about how wonderful her day was talking with Zeno and being like, well, I, I can't do that. I was like, oh, that feels so real. That feels like people. Mm-hmm. And just to have Giuseppe then say, it's not too late. Tell me all about it. Like, catch me up on your life. Oh, and that was so sad. He was like, take half a cup of coffee and tell me all about it. Because they just know each other so well. Mm. It's it's refreshing because normally in a situation like that, you'd like the author would want to make that character a bastard. They would want to make someone that the audience wants to see the protagonist leave. And the decision to go against that, I feel, just strengthens the resolve, strengthens the the themes of the story in ways that just it couldn't have done otherwise. It's I think it was a bold choice, but it was a choice that I think really, really paid off. I have so I have a question. Mm-hmm. Zeno's doctoral thesis in this is that time can move in reverse, mm-hmm. but only if there is an inciting incident to stop entropy. Yeah. So this is a book where time moves in reverse. What do you think was the inciting incident that stopped the entropy? And sent Zeno back to that same place where he started, just 60 years older. It's like just symbolically, visually, I feel like it has to be the stare. I feel like their eyes meeting has to... It's It's the part that visually ties the book together. But I think since the first chapter ends with the kiss, you could argue that that kiss right where they first met was the moment that took them back to that spot and what sets the entire book in motion. But, Lexi. Ooh, I want to say it was the Aurora Borealis moment. I think mm. that in that moment Ooh. for me, him talking to that young couple about their lives and the Aurora Borealis that was happening, and I feel like he, for me in that moment, I felt like he couldn't help but think about Anna and how she was in a similar part of life and he wanted to be there 
with her in that moment. And I feel like after that, it seemed, or I guess before that in the book, it seemed like that was the shifting moment where he kind of made his way back for me. That's a beautifully constructed page too, because it's just one big image split into the six panels Mm -hmm. and the, the use of the North and South pole and the, Sorry, I'm getting overwhelmed no, by the book again. <laughs> I know. It's just got so much in such a, I feel like it's such a short amount of time. Do you know something that I, I would hang that picture of the red boat in front of the iceberg on my wall as just, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. piece of artwork. It's page 48 in the physical one. I don't know what it is in the digital one, but there's just a single splash page of the big red boat oh, that Zeno mm-hmm. lives on. And it would be. Just the kind of thing that I would look at it and I would know what it is, but everyone else that looked at it would just see a beautiful picture of a red boat. And I I just really love this book. I love that the whole book is set up in a three-panel or six-panel grid. Like, there is never anything crazy going on with the panels. I think a lot of the time, comic books, to create complexity, use... Uh, different paneling structures and this book to create complexity did something complex with the narrative and the panels just say it's simple like it's always just six squares on a page or three rectangles on a page every single time the cartooning is clean and easy to understand something that i will just beat the drum on always is scott mcleod's observation that you're only allowed to pick one complex thing in a story And these were, and that's not like, not everything else has to be, duh, very simple. Like, Zeno and Anna are complex, interesting individuals, but they are not what is the most complex about this. It is the structure of the story going in reverse. The paneling is simple. The cartooning is straightforward and easy to understand. This book wouldn't work as well, I would argue, with really abstract artwork or really surreal pages. Like it has to be pretty clear cut for us to follow backwards through time. And I think that just demonstrates a mastery as both a writer and artist, and therefore storyteller, Jordi Lefebvre. Very, very well said. And the artwork, it's... I was trying to think of a word to describe the artwork besides just European. (laughs) It's... It's gorgeous. It's. I was trying to find the the style of it earlier, and it reminded me of other French comic, comics like um, the Adventures of Tintin. And there's actually a a word for that type of style. It's um, ligne claire, which just means clear line. I mean, and it's licking an eclair. Thank you, thank you, Dallas. That's French for you... lick the eclair. <laughs> lick the 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 artwork involves um, licking an eclair while you're drawing. Actually. It, it clears your mind and lets you draw these really clear lines with very little cross hatching, um, bright colors and very, um, exaggerated cartoony faces at times. And I think it's, I don't know. I'm not sure if there's, it really helps with the story. I'm just in love with it because it's something we see so little in more Western comics. How? So I know the answer for Alexis. Um, and how familiar are you with European comics? Have you read a lot of European comics? Very little that I'm aware of. Like, 
I'm sure I've read some, but none that have like actively been like, okay, so this is this is on the same levels like always never. I haven't read a lot of Tintin. Um probably I'm gonna go very minimal, if any. Hmm. We might have to read some more of those. I really want to read Cordo Maltese. I've not mm-hmm. been able to get my hands on. I was this close to getting one, and then I bought it, and they were like, great. And then they messaged me like, hey, actually, uh, it's <laughs> super sold out and backordered. We'll give you a refund. And I was like, no, I wanted the Corto Maltese. Um, European Comics Whip. I'm not going to lie. There are two that I have on the schedule for this year. So a little sneak peek forward. Black Sad is a comic from Spain that, Alexis, you are going to love. It is anthropomorphic animals in like classic Disney style watercolors but it's a detective noir book where this big black panther goes around New York and the US solving crimes and murders there's a story about like and it's set during the 50s and so there's a story about like this racist town where it's all arctic animals because they're white and then him as a black panther like stands out in the neighborhood and like the polar bears are like giving him weird looks it's Oh, you're going to love it. It's going to knock your socks Ooh, off. I'm excited. And then The Inkall is a French comic from Mobius, who is one of the greatest comic book artists of all time. And uh, Joe Dorowski is his last name. I can't remember his first name right now, is the writer. And it's really, really stellar and going to be adapted into a movie by Taika Waititi in the near future. So those are two European comics coming down the pipe for us that are phenomenal. I think European comics, in my estimation, tend to have a more literary bent to them. Mm-hmm. Like, I would never describe any European comics I came across as pulpy. I think American comics, to this day, are rooted in their disposable newspaper origins. And mm-hmm. so they are seen as something that needs to come out Every week, good, bad, great. They come out on a deadline. They are viewed as something that is a never-ending story. Whereas European comics, in my estimation, are something that are seen more like a novel, where it's a bound, complete story that's handed in. And things like Tintin that are ongoing, even then, are released in store collected stories that one comes out every year or so instead of the serial nature nature of american comics and so they create a little bit different kind of product i don't think mm-hmm. there are any sweeping operas in european comics quite like chris claremont's x-men but i also think that it is very rare for us to see something like always never from the american comic scene just because of how they're released you can't take the time to write out a whole story and then step back and reconfigure it going backwards in time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Oh, you've read Carmen, right, Anne? Yes, I have. That's also a European comic. That that so, checks out. That makes so you, sense. You have read a European comic. That one's French. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the, the Always Never here was published by Dark Horse. It feels... It definitely has that indie feel, but it's different. It's different than a lot of other indies that I've read before. And I think what you said sums it up pretty perfectly. I I definitely want to read some more. I was doing just a quick Google over some 
European comics that I want to read. And I there are some I'm going to add to my own personal list because I do need to expand a little bit. Even though I'm feeling the pull of cape shit again and I know I need to stop because it's just <laughs> going to hurt me. It's just going to hurt me again. And I'm going to, I'm going to go on my unhinged Twitter rant and people are going to tell me to stop. They're going to beg me to stop and I'm going to look at them and whisper no. <laughs> we should Ooh, read Watchmen. <laughs> we should read Watchmen. It's just always a matter of do I want to make Alexis read Watchmen yet? And the answer so far has been no. Every time Lexi? I go to Barnes and Noble, I contemplate buying that book because it entices me. Yeah. It's the best graphic novel, superhero graphic novel ever written. Mm-hmm. But like, it's a de- it's Alan Moore. It's a dense mofo. Well, I know. Mm-hmm. So you just, you I'd let me know. I you signal willing. up. Shoot she, up a flare, she's Alexis. She's signaling right now. I said, put saying- it on the schedule. Just pull the trigger. But it has to be the only big one of the month. We can pick some. We can pick some shorties. We have to do some little dainty shit on the side. We can do. How about we do Calvin and Hobbes that same month? <gasps> yes, that's a good one. You heard it here first, folks. Calvin Did and Hobbes just... being chased by Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> Do we just play in March? Perfect. Mm-hmm. Love that. We can call. We can call it March Madness because what the fuck <gasps> are we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's very excellent. Um. Okay. Back to I always love... never. Back to always never. Um, (laughs) What chapters were your favorites? Which ones stood out the most? Because to me, when I think about it, I think about the chapter where um, she's planning the bridge and she calls um, Zeno, who is currently hiding from a very, very angry woman that he has seen. And um, in one of the most um, charming moments of the whole thing where the kids are all laughing because they all know exactly where he is. And he's talking on the phone outside and he like sneaks outside on the windowsill just to talk to her. And I like that chapter because I think it's the first time we see a moment of tension between these two where you actually, because bef- afterwards everything's like very lovey-dovey and like, wow, this relationship is really holding up. But then the further back in time you get, you get to see more and more parts where these two are actually trying to figure out where they fit into each other's lives, how they fit into each other's lives. And that's where the, the interesting messy parts really start to start to click. And I loved Love that moment where he realized where she's describing, um, talking about the the bookstore that he left, and just like how could you leave it abandoned? And then Zeno realizes you're not talking about the bookstore anymore, are you? And it's that was one of the moments that, like it's the knife in there, and then it twists just a little bit, um, but it still resolves in a very positive way. Where there's, I think there's only one chapter in this where their emotional scuffles are not instantly not resolved per se, but at least smoothed over. And that's the third, third chapter. So the penultimate penultimate chapter. And I just, I just thought that was really, really interesting. That one sticks with me a lot. And I love that after he's done fighting, the woman sticks her head out and she's like, so what you doing? Cause she's, she's like, I'm over it. I threw your shit out the window, but I'm chill now. So let's talk about it. So good. Lexi, how about you? What are your favorite vignettes? I love, I guess, chapter two. So like the last chapter two, the one mm-hmm. labeled actually chapter two, when he becomes basically Sinbad, the pirate. Love that. <laughs> Got a good chuckle out of that. I said, oh, they're piercing his ears and he looks terrified. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very funny because, I mean, I feel like 
for me, like in those moments, I was like, oh my gosh, it's almost over. We're going to see like the moment that it started. Like it kind of like mm-hmm. that, those chapters, the last like three or four were so heavy for me because I was like, oh no, here we go. This is the moment that we've all yeah. been waiting for. <laughs> so those ones, especially. And the, I mean, the very last chapter, chapter one, beautiful. I love that one. Um, and I also really loved the chapter where she's talking to her daughter, Claudia, later, like as adults. And she's like, Claudia's cutting her hair. And she's like, mom, like she's like calling her mom out. Like, how can you do this to dad? How can you do this to dad? And she's like, your dad knows. He's always known. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that there's ever been a moment that he hasn't. And I feel like that was always just, I feel like that one hit me really hard. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting to me. Oh, for sure. I love, speaking just of chapter two, I love the way that, that sets up so perfectly for that last chapter where the first half goes forward um, narratively. And then it gets to the part where she puts the letter in the drawer. And then it takes that moment to switch from the letter in the drawer to the letter in the bottle. And then the rest of that chapter is told backwards to set mm-hmm. us up for the entire last chapter being backwards. It takes the perfect moment to shift gears and go into reverse. And I thought that was so, so well done. I'm so happy you noticed that too. I'm so happy you noticed that too. I noticed that on this read through and I was like, (gasps) so to hear that you noticed that too. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm so proud. That's, I don't want that to sound condescending. I'm proud. I didn't notice that until like my 10th view. And I was like, wow. I noticed that only when I went backwards. So like I read the whole thing through and then I was like, well, now I have to look at it normal. And then when I like looked at it and I got to that point, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, Sorry, kind of not to not to step over you, Dallas, but just while I'm thinking about that, Lexi, what was the experience reading the story in chronological order? What was that like? It was wild. I almost kind of preferred it backwards. Like, I feel like... So, is is in the way it's supposed to be read? Yeah, or the in the way, way that it was written, I preferred okay, it okay. how it was supposed to be, because reading mm-hmm. it backwards, I was like, well, I want more details now. Now that it's in order, <laughs> fill it in. <laughs> I... Oh. Yeah. I think that makes sense because I think if you read it from back to front, so in chronological order, I think it's not going to have the same connective tissue that it has mm-hmm. reading backwards. Because if you read it backwards, it starts with the first chapter is like, oh, um, uh, I like your hair. What does your daughter think about this? And she's like, oh, I told my daughter when she was cutting my hair. And then the next chapter, it's her daughter cutting her hair. And she's like, well, what does dad think about this? Oh, I told dad. And then the next chapter, it's her telling Giuseppe. And it has those strings that keep the story connected that way. And it makes the the narrative move easier. So I'd imagine reading in chronological order, it's nice to see the events as they actually transpired, but I feel like it would lose a little bit of that narrative magic. Yeah. I feel like that as well. Oh, Thank you. I'm so glad that someone actually bit the bullet and read this in the quote-unquote proper way. So thank you, Lexi. Yeah. Well, I really did. I sat with this book for a good three-ish hours today just like looking at it and looking at the pictures because i had the time so tell us more tell us more about that yeah (laughs) well i just like i mean i am a very hopeless romantic person i love romance i love reading romantic books Mm -hmm. i mean those are like the novels that usually draw me in um and now that i'm adult i can listen to some pretty wild ones but we won't get into that on this this is a pretty tame one in my book (laughs) but um no, like it just makes my heart so warm. Like I love love. And so to read a comic that was just 100% dedicated to it and like two 
star-crossed lovers that were separated by just life in general, I feel like to me was just so heartwarming and I just loved it. And I just wanted Mm -hmm. to read it over and over and over and over again. I think a trap that we fall into in American media is that romance is the secondary thread of another genre piece. Mm -hmm. So it's an action movie with a good romance in it. It's a comedy with a good romance in it. It's this with a good romance in it. And there are so few just romance things Mm -hmm. that the whole pull is that it's romance. And I love just romance. Like, (laughs) throw away the other crap. I love romance. I think one of my favorite movies of all time is When Harry Met Sally. I Last night, after reading this to do some more romance homework, I finally watched Before Sunrise. And I thought that was a delightful movie. And it actually sparked a thought about Always Never. Here's my little segue. I think one of the most important parts to a romance and the reason that so many people tie in another genre is to avoid this is that to sell a romance, both characters have to be incredibly likable and charismatic and able to carry a plot. If you don't like half of the romance, if you don't like one of those people, you don't like the thing. If you don't aren't like, please get together, please get together. It doesn't work. And so I think one of the strengths of Always Never is that both Anna and Zeno are incredible characters that I would follow independent of each other. Mm-hmm. And I desperately want them to end up together at the end of this book. So I want to open the floor to hear what you two think of Anna and Zeno, why you like them, what you think their flaws are. Let's talk about these people because they're the core of it. I just want to pinch their fucking cheeks. They're the character (laughs) designs are two of the cutest I've seen in any, any comic ever. I love them both so, so much. Um, It's, it's so i feel like the hopeless romantic just thinking about them because i always think about zeno's smile and anna's eyes just the way they're always drawn and anna is such this straightforward and determined character the panel that lives eternally in my head is the moment where she pulls up her skirt and she starts strutting her way through the mud and i'm like that is i don't know how but that's just that's just her as a that's her as to a t you know she will get shit done she will get it done herself. She's always working determined. This is a woman with a career and a goal to make her city better. And by golly, she does it. <laughs> it's, I love that. And Giuseppe is just this, he's the, um, the silver Fox. He's the, the, the cunning, um, what, Giuseppe I'm trying or to, Zeno? Zeno. Sorry, God. Um, he's just, I, I can't think of the words to describe. He's a scoundrel. Zeno. Alexis yeah. said Sinbad, and that was just right. Yeah. He reminds me of Sinbad and the Tramp from Lady and the Tramp. Oh, fuck. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, I was thinking I was, I'm not going to swear at all this um, episode to make up for last episode, but fuck <laughs> it. I messed that up. Um, that is actually the most on point description I've heard so far. He is the, he does, he does wrong. But that's okay, and I love him. That type of character. We support his wrongs. We support him. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want to yank his goatee when I'm like, just go get her. 
Go get her! <laughs> Damn you! Don't run away! He's so fucking smooth. No one has yeah. ever looked better in a goatee and a mustache. Ever. I want so badly for me to look like him. And it's just never gonna happen. <laughs> I, like... You want to look like an older Phineas and Ferb? Gen- gender. I know that's not really my word, but gender. Like, I want to look... totally fair. I want to look like him. I want to be him. I want to be on the high seas thinking of my PhD. Like, I had one year where I lived like this guy, and I I think about it a lot. And I just... He's so cool. He's so awesome. I love... A couple of my favorite pages are the penguin wandering through Venice mm-hmm. when he's talking oh about finally going home to his people. Um, I really love the whole scene in the botanical garden and oh my the, gosh. why lilies remind him of her. And when she toots, it makes me laugh. Um, like an, and discreet. As a girl uh, who has IBS, I felt seen by that. <laughs> The nervous <laughs> when she was on the couch and he was on the beach and they were right next to each other on the phone oh or my why God. she loved the couch so much and was so sad when the guy was getting rid of it that was i didn't crazy. even realize that that's that why she passed smile. out didn't... she didn't want him to get rid of that couch and she couldn't buy it back from him because he was like if you want it you can buy it and she was like i can't i didn't Don't realize the connection there either it's oh, wow. That's her Zeno couch. That's her Zeno couch. Good catch, That's where Lexi. she slept. Yeah, that's where she way slept good catch, Zeno Lex. for years. <laughs> when the comp- they... Oh, sorry. I was going to say they, the composition of the beach scene was perfect. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, it is perfect. When they dance with the music notes behind them, both starting the record at the same time, uh, is phenomenal. When she slips and falls in the snow because she sees him, and then he goes and just plops into the hole that she left in the snow. Uh- I felt that. I was like, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to lose my mind cuz he was that's the chapter where he's just a helpless fucking puppy and I felt so bad for him and his Oh my gosh. Well, cuz that was the first time that he had seen her since their since their moment, know. right? She yeah. Can you imagine that? Your dad dies and then the girl that you've been throwing letters into the ocean for for years mm-hmm. just as there and all of a sudden like on that day of all days she's there and the rain in the diner like, that just consumes both of them till they're yelling at each other in a rainstorm it's oh phenomenal. it's so so perfectly done it's just i love when oh, the this... little girl is like maybe mommy's always out late because she's hiding a mouse <laughs> She is hiding a mouse. <laughs> He's a name you see, you know. <laughs> I love I loved when Giuseppe made her midnight spaghetti though. That made me laugh. That was a good dad. That was just and again, Giuseppe He's underrated king. Spouse. <laughs> I love the true king. I love that both of their lives separate from each other feel filled out. <laughs> Yeah, like Zeno as it makes sense. Their lives are good enough and fulfilling enough that it makes sense that they didn't end up back together until those parts of their life were over. Like right. she was destined to be mayor. He was destined to be on the open seas as a little pirate man. And it makes sense because thematically, 
you have to fill that out or the entire idea of them revolving around each other and having that weight, having that mass where they can't interact. If one of them feels like they're living an unfulfilled life, then the, the narrative falls flat. You have to have them both doing this. And I think it says a lot that this is a love that persisted through all of that, through all the distance, through all the years, time and space could not keep them apart. All right. Two very underrated prettiest moments for Zeno and oh, Anna. Oh, please. Page 52 and page 55. Both of those are from chapter 15, the one that starts with the red boat. There is Zeno writing in his notebook, looking to the right, full silver fox mode. He's got a blue hat on. No. And one, two, oh. three pages later, when Anna is on the bridge and the wind is blowing her tears away, she cries that she's happy. She gets four more years. Those are two beautiful panels of these two characters. <laughs> my stupid, my stupid little um, tiny brain. I have the book like opened at like a 90 degree angle right now. And I notice he's looking right and she's on the panel right next to him. So he's like staring at her on the desk. Yep. Yep. God dang it. I'm mad. Also, I hate her replacement as mayor. That guy sucks. With his maritime. And it, I love that it makes her mad that he pretends to be a sailor because Zeno is a real sailor. <laughs> She's like, I know a real man. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> or like when he was talking about like all the ships going down, like his metaphors. And she was like, it made me worry about you. Like mm-hmm. it made me think of you to listen to this silly little man talk about his bad metaphors. I... I think one of my favorite parts of this whole book is when she is writing Zeno about the many different versions of Anna that have to exist. Like there's Giuseppe's Anna, there's the mayor's Anna, there's her Mm -hmm. daughter's Anna, there's her parents' Anna. And then she talks like a very brave Anna took like a sultry picture to send to him. And I think that encapsulates a lot of for me, why this romance didn't feel untoward is that this was a part of her that didn't belong to anyone but her and Zeno, right? And in your life, there there are, like, whether you like it or not, like, there are dozens of versions of you. The version of me that is on this podcast is different than the version of me that is spending time with my wife is different than the version of me that's at work. And I think all of those guys have a lot in common, but there's significant small differences and i think it's interesting that she qualifies the version of her that keeps her flame lit for Zeno as the bold version of her the version of her that believes there is still an adventure out there for her and it just it feels really special i also big sap i'm very bad at texting and I have a really, really good friend that I've been friends with for years that we decided that we just write letters because we're very bad at texting each other. And it makes it more special when I get to hear from him. And so it made me happy that these two keep up through letters and phone calls because I was like, I'm part of a grand tradition writing my letters to Trev. He lives in San Francisco and I live in New York and we met in Kansas City, but we still will just send letters forever. That's a story. That's I make that comic. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just there's there's nothing about this comic that doesn't work for me. Where it's like sometimes I'll have a comic where it's like I have notes, I have no notes. I have nothing. I'm a blank slate. I cannot if I spent a year trying to find something to fault in this book, I don't think I could. 
But if you have, if you have something, <laughs> listener, no. keep it to yourself. Keep it to your <laughs> damn self. I don't care. Under- it's like normally I'm I'm open. Everything's subjective. But if you hate this book, no, you don't. Try again. Underrated chapter, chapter six, when Zeno helps the old man go see his Juliet. Yes, I love the um. That was a good one. The thugs. Yeah, the thugs that chase her, and just like him realizing that. I mean, as funny as it sounds, like he'd given up on love at like twenty six, and this old man is like, "No, fan that flame!" Like I come and see her every year. He's like, <laughs> "I love her." And just like that's where, and that's what inspires him to call Anna for the first time ever. I love the using col- the use of color in that chapter. The um, they the moment red. where he's just like, yeah, just highlighted in red just to signify and highlight the action. I thought that was really really smart, and it doesn't happen too often in this book where colors played like played with like that. So it sticks out a little bit, but I think in the right way. I think the color theory in this book is really great. There there aren't a lot of like colors associated with specific characters or anything like that. But this is a great example of someone choosing a color palette on every page. And therefore mm-hmm. that color palette just Carries oozing through, through it, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it... It's not something you notice until you take a step back and notice like, oh, every page of this looks like a beautiful painting because all the colors match up just right. So, like, every page of this is an individual piece of artwork. It's like if you have one of those those wall murals that's, like, just a color gradient, you could do that with just the pages from this book. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Beautiful. Most heartbreaking what? part of this whole book, the violin no. that lost its soul. No, god damn no, it, we no. we can't talk about that. Denied. Denied. Get lost. Shoe. What's the part that makes you cry in this book? That one. Okay. Oh, and then also his letter explaining why he ran away. That was very sad for me. I cried at that part when he's on the back of the train. And he's like, I guess we'll always 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 be never. Mm. (laughs) It's always never. (laughs) I always, always lose my shit in the last chapter because it's silent. And it lets me get in my own head with my feelings and my thoughts and it lets me i think that's the chapter that lets you fill in the blanks the most because nothing's spoken nothing said it's all um it's all emotion and you see it on their faces you see it in their actions it breaks your heart in the best way and it's also listener i did the dumb thing before Jumping on the show, I read that entire last chapter with some of the music from Up. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. You deserve better, king, queen, or monarch. You don't You don't need to go through that. It works. It's actually really, really beautiful, but don't do that to yourself. It's You will overload yourself for the next, what are we going on now? Hour and a half? Yeah, it'll overload you for like the next hour and a half to two hours. Because I still got tears in my eyes just thinking about it. So thinking about that last chapter, I love in chapter. Oh, hell, what chapter is it? I love that the chapter with her hiking up her skirt is the one where they talk with him on the beach. 
Mm-hmm. Like those feel like those could have been two chapters, but I like that they're one chapter. It's chapter seven and he's on the beach and she's on the couch and they're talking next to each other. It's my favorite visual chapter, page 113 in the physical. Um, she says, in that case, tell me a secret. Why did you leave? And Zeno answers, I don't know. I think my feet needed to fly across the earth. Anna says, mine, on the other hand, need to be firmly rooted in the ground. The first night I even ever spent on a boat, I was so nervous I didn't sleep a wink. I was craving some company. And he says, traveling alone? She says, uh-huh. It was also my first night with a man. He says, your boyfriend? Not at all. I had just met him, but he was very gentle. How was your first time? He says, perfect, clumsy. It was in the dark. Touching blindly, I had guards chasing me, and she was in her room. Afterwards, she fell asleep, and I spent the night looking out the porthole. You and your stars, you and your sea. How's the sea today? Perfectly calm. And it reminds me of the scene in Before Sunrise, where they call each other on the phone across the table to talk about how the date's going so far. I just, I love playfully emotionally honest moments i think they're very sweet and i think when you can have that with a person where you just take a step back and be there emotionally talking like this is really great isn't it yeah this is really great those are very sweet special moments and i love that it was captured in this and it made that last chapter hit even harder realizing like that was such a key special moment for both of them it was both of their first times and that it really set their whole lives in motion. I want to change my answer because it's no, the entire book makes me cry. There's a scene that's the whole thing. This fucking book making me cry over straight people. I'm so upset. No girls kiss in this book and I'm so invested. I'm so here. I'm so emotionally compromised in every way. Perfect. Perfect comic. With that being said, does anyone have anything else that they want to talk about for this book before we get on to our listener question? I don't think so. Okay, good. Because if you said anything else, I was I was going to cry even harder. Listener, <laughs> I, I have tears in my eyes like... right now. Um, I love the symbol of Zeno carrying around his butterflies, like captured in that jar. The for like the last for the first half of the book, the last half of his story, after he's learned about how to bring entropy back, like he's learned that like he can come back. And once he is finally back home, once he's that penguin in Venice, he lets all the moths free up on that bridge above his house. Like he doesn't need to worry about this anymore. He doesn't have to try and figure out how to run time back anymore because he has come back right where he needs to be. Mm hmm. If I was to ever, ever try to um, do a little experiment and try to adapt a comic into a screenplay, this is the one I'd want to do. I think it would be a really, really fun, fun thing to adapt. And maybe it's just me thinking about Memento and The Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, which are two of my favorite movies of all time, but also two wonderful narratives, both told backwards in their own unique ways. It's... It'd be so fun. It'd be so fun. And it'd be such a challenge. It would be, it'd be really, really cool. Between this and Before Sunrise, 
I have an idea. I have been looking for an idea for a short film to do with some friends. And mm-hmm. I finally have an idea for a short film. I can tell you it after we're logged off. Sweet. I finally know what I'm doing for a short film. The benefits of being friends. <laughs> okay. With all that said, let's move on. I We have at least one question. Did we get another one? Or... We have two. We have, we have two. One big one, one small one. We have dose. Lexi, would you like to read our first question? Of course I will. Okay. So this question is from Eduardo. It says, always never questions. Hey, y'all. Hope you're doing well. My question this week, my questions this week are, number one, even though I love always never, it really took me out of it when Zeno still pursued Anna, even though she's married. I feel that it's a romance trope that that really shouldn't be used due to how it gives off the idea of keep pursuing no matter what, which isn't good for many reasons. Am I the asshole here for thinking that? Because I feel like I am. Thoughts on that one before we read the other one. Dallas. I got thoughts. I don't think what you're talking about is like the ducky phenomenon from Pretty in Pink, right? The like, I'm not into you. And it's like, gentlemen, if you just try hard enough and keep going, she will give in and love you finally. And like, I don't think that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I think that she pursues him like he pursues her. And... I don't think there's any amount of him wearing her down that's going on. Right. I think that it's two people who hold a flame for each other that continue to visit back and forth. And she does happen to get married along the way. But I don't know that it's him like, well, I'll just keep trying then. Like they are just genuinely people that continue to talk back and forth. And they don't do anything untoward before Giuseppe even knows, you know, like Giuseppe knows when they go on their first date. And I think it plays more into the idea of just like understanding your partner and what's appropriate within your marriage, right? Like I know for me personally, this is something that would really hurt me and hurt Addison if this was something that was found out, but it seems within the context of this book to have not really hurt Giuseppe Mm -hmm. and to have not hurt Anna, obviously. And Zeno didn't seem to be like this. I kind of said this at the beginning of the show that love is something that everyone feels, but everyone experiences differently. And to me within the confines of the story, it does not feel it passes the sniff test for me that Zeno isn't badgering a woman who isn't interested Mm -hmm. and she is not hurting her husband by doing this all the characters as presented within this narrative are okay about these people except the daughter the daughter was mad (laughs) but these two people who orbit each other yeah i think that that sums it up pretty perfectly it's not i don't think there was a moment where Zeno ever pressured her to do anything they just understood that neither one of them was in a spot where they would have to do anything, you know, where it's, they both understood they were living their lives and it was mutually understood that they were going to do that until they had nothing else. When it's like, when we've done all we can, when our adventures are finished, then we can come back to this. And I don't think there was ever a moment where Zeno's like, how about now? You ready now or now? Maybe at the beginning where he's giving you kind of like the puppy dog eyes at the beginning and they have to set their boundaries, but that's, and by beginning, I mean like chronologically. 
but otherwise I think that's, yeah, I didn't get that sensation. I didn't get that feeling. How about Any you, thoughts, Lexi? I did not get that feeling at all either, purely with the context of this book. Like, I can understand where you're coming from, for sure. And I mean, also, like, I feel like it's important to be said that, like, emotional affairs are also very real and they happen. And that's also a very damaging topic for couples. But I feel like with the context of this specific story, I never got that feeling. I never Mm -hmm. felt like it was hurtful to Giuseppe in that aspect. But everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Yeah. Your own reading of the book is your reading of the book. So, Lexi, what is the next part of the question? Part Part two. When did you realize Zeno is Italian McGraw? (laughs) Um, Listen, Ed, not all mustache people have to be McGraw. But. But. Pretty on point with that. But one. it's pretty on point. Sinbad. <laughs> oh, I miss Giant Days. I can't wait for my library editions to get here. Oh <laughs> boy, those library editions are gonna make me so happy. God. Listen, I have to stay alive at least until November, no matter how hard work gets. Right? <laughs> I'm not allowed to die before that. But Lexi, what is the third part? Third Unless- part. How is Zeno goals? Dallas, this one's yours. Talk about gender again. (laughs) I think there is something incredibly appealing about being wanderlust. Like the idea that he picked up his whole life and went out and chased his adventure. I think that up to this point in my life, I've tried very hard to do whatever will make me the happiest, right? I would be so heartbroken if I died at the end of my life. Nice. If I died at the end of my life, I'd be sad. (laughs) But if at the end of my life, I looked back and all I saw were a bunch of opportunities I didn't take. They're like, I I read a statistic once that 65% of people die within 15 miles of the place they were born. And if I end up, my orbit takes me out and brings me back that'll be okay but if i spent my entire life a stone's throw away from where i was born i think i'd be very sad and i have found a lot of happiness going out and doing the things that my little boy brain thought would be cool like my little boy brain was like you want to be an archaeologist and i felt so happy to go out and do that for a couple years it didn't it wasn't something that stuck but like feather in my cap i will always have done that when i was a teenager I got this book that was like off track planets travel guide for the young, sexy and broke. And it was a very clear. The first half of the book was like the inspiration to go. It was all the cool shit you can do around the world for cheap. And then the back half of the book was how to do it. And I took the back half of that book and I went and I lived in Europe for a summer just doing broke person shit. Like I remember there was a night that I fell asleep. I didn't have money for a hotel and I had planned to just sleep on the train from the bottom of Germany to the top of Germany. I was like, I'll just sleep the train. It'll be great. And then I missed my train. And I was like, I have nowhere to sleep. And so I just fell asleep outside because it was summertime. And I remember the German police coming up to me and like kicking me. And I was like, oh no, the German police. (laughs) Then they just went, 
what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, and I was spooning my bag because I'd read that if you spoon your bag, it's harder to steal. And they went, is this your girlfriend? Why are you spooning your bag? And I was like, oh, and they were like, why didn't you just sleep inside? And I remembered that, oh, yeah, this isn't America. People are more important than property here. And they <laughs> unlocked the building and they let me inside to just go sleep inside the train station. And I'm just happy to have lived that way. And I want to keep living that way. Like I, when the opportunity came, I was like, I should move across the country. That's really scary. But like now I can be like, I lived in New York. And regardless of where I end up after this, I'm really happy. And so I think looking at Zeno, I see someone who is happy that just realized that their life could have been very nice staying in Venice, marrying Anna, being happy there. But there was just a pull out into the world. And I think something I'm sitting back and focusing on right now is not letting my 20s be the coolest part of my life, because I think this is also a really neat part of always never that they are cool up until they're 60. And then they are starting a whole new cool part of their life. And I just think you have your whole life to be old. So push it back as far as possible and whatever Ed, whatever it is that you're like, man, I would love to do that, but I just can't. Cause it doesn't make sense. I have found so much joy in doing the things that don't very make very much sense. And I think life has a way of dropping you on your feet. I think that's why Zeno has goals. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you, Dallas. That was, I'm, I, I'm so glad I do this podcast because I love everything you have to say. It's always so well thought out and I'm just, I'm so lucky to be here to experience it. So thank you for that. Thanks. I also think Zeno's a sexy pirate man and that's pretty cool. There we go. There we go. Just trying to fish that out of you. Just want the bullshit. <laughs> Sexy pirate is always fun. Lex, what are you thinking? I feel like you have thoughts on your face. I do have thoughts on my face. I feel personally attacked by the 50 mile radius comment of you because I live within 15 minutes of our childhood home. But I wasn't trying to I, No, 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 no. I have a counter for you. I think Anna is goals. Because she buckled down and got what she wanted from where she was. And she made the most of her life in the way that she wanted. And she went after her goals and made them her bitch. And I think that you can do that anywhere. And I like her a lot. Mm -hmm. Talk more about that. Talk about how Anna makes you feel empowered. I was just talking about how Zeno makes me feel empowered. And I feel like we parallel them pretty well. Zeno's yeah. like, I gotta go out in the world. And I'm like, I gotta go out in the world. And Anna's <laughs> like, I have to make my world mine. Exactly. And that's what you're doing. So talk to exactly. me about it. Exactly. Because I feel like for me, like I have a very, I mean, I, I have to say like, I have a very good job for a 22 year old woman. I um, work full time. My job is very critical. I consider myself a, businesswoman more or less my opportunities are fabulous and they are right here at home with in radius of where I grew up and I feel like I want to build my life right here because I loved being here and I don't know where that will take me 
in the next couple of years. I mean, there are things that bug the living shit about me living here. And I don't know. I just feel like there really are the two distinct sides of like, yes, you can go out, you can live your dream, you can find it wherever, but you also can do the same thing where you're at too for people that don't have that opportunity and for people that see things differently. Because I have no desire. (laughs) I have no desire to go get on a boat. I would rather die. I would rather die. And I get nervous. I get nervous traveling. I get nervous seeing the world. It doesn't mean I don't want to, but I like having a home base. I like being here. I like feeling safe in my space. And I feel like that's how Anna is for me. And she knew that's where she needed to be. And I think that's why she knew her and Zeno weren't going to work until they both made the decision to compromise a little bit. I love that. I love getting both sides of the spectrum. That's fantastic. Thank both of you for that. I'm going to go ahead. I'm just going to say right off the top that Giuseppe is actually goals because I too love a good midnight spaghetti. He get to the spaghetti. His name is Giuseppe. <laughs> he goes right down the stairs and he get to the spaghetti for his little daughter, Nicoletta. And they go and they eat and his wife is she having an affair over there in the Venici. <laughs> and this pirate man, his name is Zino, he takes his wife away. But they eat the spaghetti at night and he's, they have a very nice little mouse. And the little mouse, his name is Spigulio. <laughs> Hell. I'm sorry to our Italian listeners. <laughs> The best thing for that was um, partway through that rant for me, you just kind of cut out like my Wi Fi was playing oh, catch no. up a little bit. So it just it just goes straight to silence, like five seconds of silence, and then I apologize to our I Italian apologize. listeners. <laughs> oh no, she's like, Spagulio. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Spagulio. But yeah, that was wonderful. Lexi, that was such a smart answer, too. I love coming here and listening to you, too. You two are the smartest people I know, I swear to God. That is surprising. <laughs> you you got to make smarter friends, Anne. That, yeah. That, that, I don't. I, am I don't have to do above it. average. <laughs> Take the compliment. Okay. No. Next question. Um, Dallas, do you want to read our last question? Yes. Brandon Pano says, how would you sell this comic to someone who has never read something before? So never once read anything. All right. <laughs> Alexis, I'm going to need you to listen here. I'm selling this to someone who's never read before. (laughs) Talk like you're talking to her sister, Tiffany. Yeah. Selling this to my sister, Tiffany, who's illiterate as hell. Shout out out to the iPad generation. I literally hit her with the book of Twilight the other day. And I said, I will pay you $100 to read this book, please. She said no. I got her a little bit with manga. (sighs) Yeah. Got to do what you got to do. This is a love story that focuses not around the question, do they end up together, but when will they end up together? No. Scratch that. Take it back from the top. This is a love story that focuses not on will they end up together, when do they end up together, but rather, how did it take them so long to get together? And therefore, through telling the story in reverse chronological order, Jordi Lefebvre tells you the story about two parallel lives and the people that, while connected throughout it, grow and change until they are ready to be together. There you have it, folks. That's how Dallas got me to read this book. (laughs) 
I got you to read this book because I said this is the one we're reading next week. <laughs> I said this. This is your job. Do this. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, let's actually we can use that strategy on the listeners. Listeners, pretend like you're going to be on the podcast next week, and you have to talk you about this book. To you have to have prepared samples. Yeah, you have but to do your then, research too. So you got to write me a book report on this either. book. <laughs> I'm actually on the podcast, and sometimes I don't do that. I haven't in a really long time because Dallas yelled at me. Like, you gave me a real hey. ass whooping over the phone. <laughs> you know what? And then I got Listeners, an iPad. Um, and now I like it. I can't. I can't. We just got to wrap it up. I can't. <laughs> I ruined it. I'm, I lost my way. Can I read it. you the back? The back of the book has a quote from Inside yes. the Book that I really love. It says, now that I found you again, I would so love to make a little bit of space for you in my life. A place filled with seagulls with a view of the sea. And listeners, I hope that whatever version of a little place filled with seagulls with a view of the sea that you have, that you can find someone or many people to share that with. I truly believe that the central purpose of life is to give and receive love. Be that friendly love like we have on this podcast familial love like again we have on this podcast i consider both of you family romantic love whatever it is humans are essentially social animals and we want that love we want companionship and i think there's so many beautiful ways to feel that companionship and i would encourage you no matter how hard or scary it is to seek it out because you will be consistently shocked I think the last year has been full of me trying to make friends with people that I think are way above my stature and being consistently excited and happy when these people become my friends. And my life is feeling so much more fulfilled because of the friendships and relationships I have. And I think you will be shocked as well at how receptive other people are to your companionship, because at the end of the day, we are all looking for people to share this life with. Mm-hmm. So create your space filled with seagulls with a view of the sea and find all the people that you want to bring there with you. Yeah, that's that's the only reason I'm here today is because I in the middle of the pandemic, I'm like, I need people to talk to. And so I made a silly little Twitter account and brought me to some of the most important people in my life. So always, always take that first step. You'll be consistently shocked. For sure. Lexi, with all that being said, do you have anything to add or would you be willing to read us out? Nope. No other thoughts. Can't top anything that's been said throughout the last hour and a half. So I will take us home, everybody. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. Oh, can I also shout out my personal TikTok account, Dallas underscore Meeks. I am talking about novels there. I'm trying to get a presence on BookTok because I think it will help me get mm. my book published. BookTok is kind of horny. You might need to take your they, shirt off. They I are kind of notes. horny and they're very... It's harder to break in there. So if you listen to the show and you like me and you think, gosh, this Dallas guy, 
I bet the novel that he's written is going to be good. I think it is pretty good, guys. Mm-hmm. I want to help him publish it. Go follow my personal TikTok account, Dallas underscore Meeks. Boost that up. Let's get my name and my face out there. Because 2023 is the year that my manuscript gets published. Damn it. Yay! Help me do that. Fuck yeah. Let's go. Mamma mia. It is your part. The next part is yours. It's you. (laughs) When the moon hits your eye, that's a big pizza pie, that's amore. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star amore. If you write it down, we'll read it next time amore. Snaps. <laughs> just four little snaps oh that's oh boy still a beautiful performance and finally if you have anything you want to ask us or tell us feel free to write us a little message in the bottle plop in the ocean we'll probably get it maybe but if you if you want to be like 100 percent sure we're going to get it just send it to the comics collective at gmail.com and i promise we will read them off next week on the show yeah, and also I'm pretty, I'm pretty landlocked in utah so maybe don't throw a bottle this way to- throw it in the, the salt what, what, salt lake the dead, yeah salt lake <laughs> empty salt lake <laughs> to the lovely folks that keep sending us comps about your navy seal comic be and like them being the real superheroes um i'm really flattered but i i don't support the u.s military so if you're listening to this i'm sorry i i ain't gonna read it but other than that <laughs> whatever emails we want to send over I didn't know that was happening. Um, that yeah. is a little bit giggle. That is a little bit gigglesome. Love that. <laughs> but what are we reading next week? Whose pick is it next week? Uh, it is me. Uh, Drum roll, please. <laughs> next week, we will be joined by none other than Brad and Lisa Gullickson of comic book couples counseling fame. And we're going to be talking about what I think is the best Marvel comic of all time. What I know is one of the favorite comics of all time of comic book couples counseling and a comic that I'm guaranteeing will make Anne and Alexis cry. Silver Surfer from Dan Slott, Michael Allred, and Laura Allred. We're doing it. We're talking about the best romance comic that Marvel Comics has ever published right here next week. Make sure to check it out. I'm so, Wait, what's a comic book, cu- comic book couples counseling? I just know Lisa from Twilight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Lisa from mm-hmm. Twilight Twitter is yeah. coming over. And her husband, Brad, from okay. Usagi Ojimbo. <laughs> yeah, Lisa's husband, Brad. Okay, there we go. That all makes sense now. That I, I know that, Lisa. Okay, we're good. It'll yeah, be fun. That Lisa's, that Lisa's pretty fun. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Check out our Twilight episode. That, it's, that it's episode great. ruled. Oh, yeah. It was so throw fun. it out there. Very hard to edit, and if the audio sounds weird, I'm so sorry. I spent so much time trying to make it good. Thank you. It came through as a monophile, and Alexis was Tyrannosaurus Rex loud, and Lisa was Church Mouse Quiet. Mm, That does track. And trying to like balance those, (laughs) I tried my best. You're a trooper, and we love you. you. We love you. All right, well, folks, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. See y'all. Bye.